She's Tori. And he's Nick. And this is I Want to Rewatch. An X-Files podcast. Season 2. Episode 25. Anasazi. So before we begin, I would just like to note that while this episode is about the season finale of Season 2 of the X-Files, this is pure coincidence. I actually realized it yesterday. This episode also will post on... August 20th of 2021, which is exactly one year from the date that we posted our very first teaser announcing the podcast launch on September 10th, 2020. So yay, yay. us. Woo. Woo. I mean, sadly, we have no cake. But, I know. Uh, I wish I'd known. Nice we had cake. We should have planned. Like Maybe if I had realized this before, like yesterday, maybe we could have arranged <laughs> could have to, have to have cake. <laughs> yeah. In our separate oh, locations. But yeah. That's okay. So. Also, and we'll talk more about this later. Episode one of season three will not only post on the 28th anniversary of the debut of the X-Files, but also on the first anniversary of the official start of I Want to Rewatch, the best and only X-Files podcast. I'm (laughs) pretty sure that's the full title, right? Something like that. Sounds right to me. Sounds right to me. Exactly. (laughs) So thank you all for coming along with us as we continue to try and find out if if the the truth truth is is still out there. there. Yeah. yeah. In this episode, a man manages to hack into the Defense Department and gets classified reports about aliens and UFOs, which he gives to Mulder. But the reports are encrypted, and Mulder's acting erratic and unhinged. Scully tries to get the documents unencrypted, while Mulder gets a call from his father, who needs to tell him something important. No. Ooh. Sam is back. Maybe and she's got the <laughs> encryption codes for the UFO documents because she hangs out with aliens and knows their language. Apparently, this episode is both a myth arc episode and the season two finale, and it was written by David Duchovny and Chris Carter and directed by R.W. Goodwin. It was filmed in Coquitlam and Vancouver, British Columbia. Its original air date was Friday, May 19th, 1995. And right before this episode at 8 p.m., they aired a special called The Secrets of the X-Files. Yes, and I cannot find a copy of this anywhere. It's almost like it doesn't exist. Like, it's in the TV listings, but, like, online, whew, it's like, boom, it's gone. And it's not, obviously not the stuff that's on, like, the DVD extras because there's just little segments. So I'm not sure what it is. Um, it's obviously a yeah. conspiratorial cover-up to fight it from us. Totally. This is obviously The Secrets of the X-Files. So... Although I do have a really strong memory of like watching this and then the season finale. And I think we ordered pizza, I want to say, but I could just I mean, be waiting one of any Friday nights. And this would have been like a couple weeks before school got out because my school didn't get out generally until June. Um, so it wouldn't have yeah, been either. summer yeah. yet. I think it's a West so. Coast thing. But. Yeah, my school didn't get out till June and we always started the Tuesday after Labor Day. That's how that worked mm. for us. So, um, but yeah, I do remember watching like the secrets of the X-Files and I'm sure it was like a big Friday night. Cause like they have this special and then they have the season finale and I remember the end of the season finale and just, yeah. So we'll talk about that. That was a thing time. back then too, where they would have like the, like the behind the scenes things of like, like even like movies would be like on television or like on the discovery channel. Like you could watch like behind the scenes stuff that would, that would normally then just become like DVD extra fodder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, it was a yeah, big thing. That was it was fantastic. I love that stuff. But yeah. yeah. 
I don't know that I watched this one because I don't think I was watching the X-Files. Yeah. I don't remember seeing this episode. I'm but... sure I did. Couldn't tell you what it entailed at all. Probably the yeah. sort of stuff you would expect. Interviews with the writers, the cast, that yeah. kind of thing. It so. may actually be a compilation of the stuff that's on the DVD extras, but mm-hmm. within like some transitional filler in the middle kind of thing, like with a narrator yeah. or something. I don't know. But Probably. Like I, said, I cannot find it. I cannot find I cannot even find mention of it anywhere except for in the TV listings. It's kind of crazy. Someone out there has a copy on a VHS that they recorded off the TV. It exists. Yeah, even the sketchy Russian websites don't seem to have a copy of it. (laughs) So weird. All right, anyway. They have everything, honestly. So (laughs) that's where I found the uh, Picket Fences episode. (laughs) Oh, I don't I don't mess with that stuff because I want my computer (laughs) to survive the next year. It's already on its last leg, so... We will talk a little <laughs> bit about that in this episode. Anyway, so speaking of this episode, it had a viewership of 16.6 million in the United States, which is up 1.1 million from last week, which it seems like it should be up more than that, but it is 1.1 million. And that makes it the fifth most viewed episode of season two, which is strange because you think the season finale would be the most viewed episode of season two. But anyway, for comparison, this is 2.6 million more than the season one finale, The Erlenmeyer Flask, and half a million more than the season two opener, Little Green Men. So actually relatively steady across the board as far as like for season two. I mean, season Mm -hmm. two we talked about has like crazy volatility, especially towards the end. But as far as like comparisons to like the opener and the closer, it's actually really close. So. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, this is my section. So I guess I should start. We're at Navajo Reservation in Two Gray Hills, New Mexico. And apparently, importantly, it is April 9th. So we see some houses on the reservation. And then inside one of the houses is dark and a dog is barking in the distance. And a young man, Eric, is sleeping. And then his house starts to shake and he wakes up during the quake. And then that morning, sun is up and the radio is reporting on the earthquake. And there are two men eating breakfast. Eric comes in and he puts on his coat. And one of the men at the table ask him where he's going. And he says, riding. And then an older man with gray hair, who we'll find out his name is Albert, tells Eric to leave the snakes alone today. They'll be angry and afraid because of like the earthquake, right? So Eric leaves. And then the other man, whose name I actually don't think we ever get, who's younger, mm-hmm. and maybe Albert's son and possibly Eric's dad or maybe Eric's older brother. I'm not sure. There's- yeah, it's not clear. Yeah. But anyway, he asks Albert what's wrong, but he says it in Navajo, but we get subtitles. So he's like, what's wrong? And then Albert says that the earth has a secret it needs to tell. I guess that's why there's an earthquake, right? So Eric is riding his dirt bike out in the desert and up into the hills and he parks on a ledge and then he walks to the edge of the hill down below, but he sees something in the dirt below. There's something metallic buried there. He goes down to investigate and he starts wiping the dirt away with a blanket that he's brought. So apparently the earthquake unveiled a secret on it, right? So then some time has obviously passed because then Eric is back home and he tells his brother, father, we're not really sure. I doubt it's (laughs) both that he found something. And outside, there's a group of kids that are, like, standing around looking down at something. And then, like, they kind of, like, scatter a little bit when Eric comes out of the house. Because he's like, you guys got to come and see what I found. And so, honestly, I thought he was going to take them to the site. But he's actually just taking them to the front yard. 
because Eric is like, what is it? And Albert says something in Navajo, which this time is not translated. And then he goes back in the house. But then Eric asks the other man what he said. And his dad brother says that he said that it should be returned. They will be coming. And the camera pans down and on Eric's blanket. It's a mummified alien. Mic drop. Yep. Oh, it's an alien that he found in the desert. Yep. And he brought all the way home with him on his dirt bike in a blanket. Yeah, that's kind of, kind of, kind of, kind of, which is, I guess, why I assumed that he was going to like take them all the way out there. But yeah. Yeah. Cause I didn't even think about how we'd have to carry it. That would have been really awkward. Yeah. And also, he like grabbed it with his bare hands at some point and like put it in the blanket. And yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Well, <laughs> Boulder's been wearing gloves a lot, so I guess someone has to not wear gloves. Yeah. <laughs> He's a kid. Yeah. He's excited. He found an alien. Creepy corpse in the desert. Yeah. And then we get the theme song. And at the end, it has a string of Navajo words, which I'm not going to try to pronounce because I would butcher it. But basically, it means the truth is out there in Navajo. We assume. Well, so, yeah, I mean, I yeah. don't speak Navajo. I actually tried to find a translator online, and I could not. I could not find a Navajo translator. So, so Albert Holstein is played by Floyd Red Crow Westerman, and he will actually become pivotal to this myth arc plot, and he'll appear as the same character in four more X-Files episodes. Oh, He's also appeared on MacGyver, Murder, She Wrote, Walker, Texas Ranger, and Dharma and Greg, among others. Sadly, he did pass away in 2007. Yeah, I guess he actually was a recurring character on Walker, Texas Ranger. Mm -hmm. And then he also had a role in Northern Exposure, I think, in two episodes. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, he was in a lot. He had a pretty good list of credits, so he did a lot of stuff. Yeah. So I know you're going to talk about this later, mm -hmm. but the shot of Eric riding his dirt bike up the cliff edge is a really, really bad composite. Also, I mean, it has to be a composite because there's no way they would actually allow someone to shoot a shot like that because he's like riding his dirt bike on this trail. And like the cliff is maybe like a foot away from the edge of the motorcycle's wheels. And it's like mm -hmm. hundreds of feet down. So yeah, the establishing shot before his ride is freaking gorgeous, though, because I know it's actually in... New Mexico. Yeah, the American Southwest is so pretty. I have been to parts of Utah and Arizona. I don't think I've ever been to New Mexico, but there are just some really gorgeous places. So yeah, I should get an yeah, RV. Yeah, composite shot. Oh, it's not good. It's not good at all. Yeah, I didn't notice super much, but like I don't, I don't tend to notice that stuff until people point it out, unless it's really, really bad. But like usually, if someone points it out, and then I look, I'll be like, oh yeah, that's pretty bad. But like I just, I don't know what this. <laughs> Yeah, and that effect might come into play later, but we'll talk about it then. So, okay. Like, of knowing that there's something there makes it different. So, we'll come into that, but we'll talk about it later. All right. So, then we're in Dover, Delaware, and it's April 10th. All right. Next day. Yeah. So, it's been a day. And inside an apartment, we see this computer is running some kind of calculation or computation, and it's basically trying to decode a key sequence. And away from the computer, there's a man sitting on a sofa, and he's reading a book called The 50 Greatest Conspiracies of All Time, History's Biggest Mysteries, Cover-Ups, and Cabals. And he's making a note in the book when the computer beeps. And the computer screen flashes, access granted. And the man is like, 
clearly thrilled and he puts like a disc tape thing into his computer drive yeah i totally had that book nice it was published in 1994 and you can bet your life that i wrote in it as well so art imitates life Apparently, though, I did not realize this because I think after I owned that copy of the book is probably when I kind of fell away from the. From what I remember, it, was actually, it had like Jack the Ripper stuff and like JFK stuff and other oh, things yeah, too, okay. just like aliens. So, yeah. But in 1996, they came out with an updated version of it that was the 60 greatest conspiracies of all time. And they, they keep the subtitle, but I'm not going to say it all the time because it's really long. And then in 1998, they did the 70 greatest conspiracies. <laughs> And then in 2004, it was the 80 greatest conspiracies of all time. And then in 2010, they finally like dropped the count and just went with the world's greatest conspiracies of all time, history's biggest mysteries, cover-ups, and cabals. And the lead author, because there's two of them, and I'll have the names and stuff in the show notes, I'll have a link to the book and stuff like that. He actually um, has several other books as well. And then he's also written some comic books. So, oh, nice. A series called The Witches for Vertigo from, I think, in 2004, I believe was when it came out. So cool. Yeah. But yeah, I totally had that book. So when I saw it, I was like, oh my God, I had that book. Freaking had that book. And <laughs> nice. I was like, okay, am I making this up? So I went and looked and boom, yeah, it came right up on Amazon. So you can actually still get like all the versions. And apparently there was also a 1992 version that is just called Greatest Conspiracies that is only written by the lead author. And I guess maybe like the predecessor to the 50 Greatest Conspiracies versions. But yeah. Huh. So cool. So then we're at the United Nations building in New York City, and it's April 10th still. And we see a man in a suit, and he's walking hurriedly down a hall, and he knocks on a door, and he enters an office. And the man at the desk is like, what is it, Antonio, in Italian? And the man tells him that someone has broken into the MJ documents. And the man behind the desk asks who would do such a thing and then picks up the phone. And they like use up their subtitle budget in this scene right here. Oh yeah, 100%. Because there's a guy yeah. on the phone on the other end and he's speaking Japanese and he's asking where he heard this and if everyone has been told. And then it cuts to another man speaking German who calls the cigarette smoking man. And he asks if the cigarette smoking man is familiar with the MJ file. And the cigarette smoking man says he's already taken care of it. And the man says good and hangs up. And then the cigarette smoking man turns to the room and says, gentlemen, that was a phone call I never wanted to get. Yeah. And the cigarette smoking man actually talks in German to the German dude. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of language going on. Yeah. So and... he knows at least German though. That's interesting to know. Mm -hmm. And then we cut to like a SWAT team entering the apartment we saw earlier with a battering ram and guns. And one of them sits down at the computer and the screen of the computer has what looks like a Homer Simpson mowing the lawn screensaver, which is very 90s. So I assume that by saying like the MJ that we're referring possibly like the Majestic 12 documents. Possibly, uh, yeah. That actually will come up later too, but yeah, so spooky. Anyway, <laughs> we're in Washington, D.C. and it's April 11th, so it's been another day. So it's been two days since Eric found the aliens. And one day since who it was that broke into the Department of Defense, broke into the Department of Defense computers. And Mulder is in his kitchen. He's taking some medicine. He doesn't look that great, honestly. Mm -mm. And someone knocks on his door and he goes to answer it. And it's the lone gunman. Yay. All three of them. And he asks what they're doing there. And Langley says, they'll talk inside. And they just like all push their way <laughs> through the door. And Mulder's like, I'm not really feeling that well, guys. I didn't sleep last night. But they're like, don't care. And they like go into his apartment. And Frohickey looks out the window and says he doesn't think they've been followed. And Mulder's like, who would follow you guys? <laughs> and Byer says, multinational black ops unit, codename Garnet. 
and Langley says they're trained killers. And Frohickey tells Mulder that Garnet doesn't want them. He wants him. And then he hands Mulder a scrap of paper, which has the name of Kenneth Sona on it. And he's the man that they've referred to as the thinker. Mulder asks what he did, meaning Kenneth Suna, and Byers says that he hacked into the Defense Department computer system. Mulder's like, why? And Byers says the thinker is an anarchist and a snoop, and whatever he got into has made him a very wanted man. Immigration and customs are even on alert. Mulder asks what they want from him. Byers says that in his last communique, the thinker named a meeting place and a three-hour window, and he asked that Mulder be the one to meet him. Langley says the only problem is that he may already be dead. And then, boom, there's like a gunshot. And they all like, oh, like get down. And then Mulder like grabs his gun and runs down the hall of his building. He's like in his pajama bottoms and like a tank top kind of thing. And the lone gunman follow him at kind of at a distance because like, they don't want your shot. And then he turns a corner and he sees this woman is standing in front of an open apartment door and she's crying and there's a small crowd gathered around. And then inside, this elderly woman is on the couch crying and hysterical. And another woman is trying to like calm her down. And Mulder's like, what happened? And the woman in the hall says, she just shot her husband. They've been married for 50 years. It's like she went crazy. And then police appear in the hall, which is really super fast, honestly. Mm -hmm. And they tell her when to get back inside, they'll take care of everything. And then Mulder looks down the hall at the lone gunman and Frohickey's like, weirdness yeah it is weird it is weird yeah is it the return of blood <laughs> maybe maybe that'd be cool if they like brought it back but they're not going to also the cops walk right past some dude in the hallway in his pajamas with a gun like right after the shooting and like don't even like look like they don't even give Mulder like a look he's just like Mulder's got his gun and they're like all hey, everybody go back in their apartment we'll take care of this and like, okay, cops, good job. And also, they were there stupid fast. Yeah, so, they really were. They have yeah. quick response. You can almost wonder if they knew there was going to be a shooting, possibly. Mm. We don't know. Or it's just TV. So. so we're at the U.S. Botanic Garden in Washington, D.C., and Mulder is there for the meeting, and the thinker appears. And he tells Mulder that he doesn't think it's important for Mulder to know his real name, which Mulder already does, but not important. Well, maybe that's not his real name. That's true. Mulder already knows a name, but anyway, it doesn't yeah. make a difference. So Mulder makes a joke about how that's a line he used in a bar once. And then <laughs> the thinker apologizes for being late. He had people on his trail. And Mulder asks why. And the thinker says if he's correct, he's got the original Defense Department UFO intelligence files. Everything from the 1940s and up. Roswell, MG-12, and beyond. And Mulder asks if he's read them. And the thinker hasn't, not entirely. He downloaded what he could and split. He knew people would be after him immediately. So Mulder asks how they know who he is. And the thinker's like, I didn't take any precautions because I didn't really expect to get inside. Like, I didn't expect the hack to work. So he was just, like, writing that encryption code thing and just, like, letting it like running in the background almost like a SETI kind of thing and, yeah he didn't expect yeah. this to actually get through so like he wasn't really trying to disguise who he was and Mulder says they've always denied those files even existed and he reaches for the folder and he asks what the thinker wants from him and the thinker wants the truth and he wants Mulder to promise that those rat bastards answer to the people yeah although you would think that if you were running a crack code on the defense department that maybe 
on the on the chance it might work, you would take precautions. Yeah, you would think so, but like, maybe why would you do just, it to begin with? I mean, I don't yeah, know. maybe he just didn't expect to get in, or he didn't expect to get into anything that important anyway. If he did, so who knows? Yeah, but I mean, they still would be able to catch the pings and see where it was coming from. Yeah, even if he wasn't able to get in, like, hey, someone keeps like you know trying to access the database. So I don't know. Anyway, so this this kind of bothered me because. We know Mulder is, like, involved in all this kind of stuff, right? And so he knows about things. And one of the things that the thinker says is included in these documents is the MJ-12 documents, which I mentioned earlier. Like, those have been officially public since 1987. And they were proven as forgeries in, like, 1988. The main group proving them as forgeries was actually the FBI in 1988 so like Mulder would know about those and then Mulder makes a comment of like wow these documents have never been released it's like well that one that he mentions explicitly was released so that seems weird yeah um, it might just be a fictional then, version of it like you know yeah there and then William Bill Moore who was one of the men who was given the MJ-12 documents um, and he's also co-author of the Philadelphia experiment in 1979 and the Roswell incident in 1980, which is what kind of brought the whole Roswell thing to prominence, because pretty much people basically forgot about it after 1947. He came out at a MUFON conference in 1989 as a distributor of disinformation that had been working for the government. Well, not working for the government, we're working with the government in like exchange for real information. So he was kind of like, you know, I'll give the UFO groups like false information if you guys like give me little hints about the real stuff so that I can put it in my books kind of thing. Apparently thought that was a thing that he could do, but then he came out like and let everybody know that he'd been doing that for years in 1989. So he got like super discredited and like had to like exile himself. But like Mulder would know all of that stuff, and especially like anyone mentioning the MJ12 documents, like in Fallen Angel when Max tries to pawn off some information that's been disproven, Mulder like really rebuffs him. Is like that's already you know that's not even why, why are you wasting my time kind of thing. And it seemed like this would be the same case, but it's not. So yeah. Anyway. I don't it know. It just kind of caught me. I mean, maybe, and it's probably just because I know some stuff about it. Yeah. And so I'm like, oh, well, that's not like with the Philadelphia experiment and the Roswell's time stuff in Dodcom. And I'm like, those dates don't even match up. And yeah. Just, I guess but, I mean, your general just... audience member doesn't know exactly. that. Exactly. So. And it's, it's a thing yeah. that fiction does where it anchors itself in the real world by using things that are real in a way that's not really how they are. <laughs> Which happens yeah. a lot. It happens again in this episode with the Anasazi. Like it's just kind of they use historical thing or something that people might have heard of in passing to kind of say, you know, oh, this is what that is. Even though obviously, like in reality, it's not really an important document that would be in a classified Department of Defense file. But like it's just in the list yeah. of things he rattles off because like it sounds important, I guess. I don't know. And I realize this is like for mass consumption, but you also think they would like at least try to maybe make things yeah believable for people who maybe know stuff but you would hope and you know maybe they heard that and maybe they didn't know it had been debunked or who knows and and again it's not like this is all stuff that like came out after the x-files and like oh we didn't know about this being forgeries or whatever like it was known way before the x-files came out chris carter if he's if he's done any of the research he says he's done about ufos and kind of stuff he would know about this too and he is like the co-writer on this so yeah maybe he means the real version of the mj12 file not the one that's been released Oh, yeah. And then, like regarding William Bill Moore, we're going to talk a little bit later about the name William. Yes, we will. Or Bill, but we will put a pin in that and save it. 
So now we're at FBI headquarters in Washington, D.C., of course, and it's April 12th, which means another day has passed. And Mulder opens the envelope and he pulls out that computer cartridge tape thing. He puts it into his computer and then Scully comes in and tells him that Skinner is looking for him. And he tells her to come in and lock the door. So then he asks her if she's familiar with the Ten Commandments. And she's like, uh, do you want me to recite them? And he specifically mentions number four and how God made heaven and earth, but didn't tell anyone about his side projects. And Scully's like, what are you talking about? And he says, the biggest lie of all. And he turns on his computer and he shows her the screen, which says Department of Defense, top secret. And she's like, what? And she's like, what is it? And obviously she's concerned. And even though they work for the government, anyway. And Mulder says it's hard evidence that the government has known about the existence of extraterrestrials for over 50 years. And Scully's like, where did you get this? And he says, your friendly neighborhood anarchist. But then he's like trying to read it. He opens it. He like gets past. It's like they downloaded the whole website or something. Cause like there's like the front pacing page. It's all Department of Defense. And then he clicks through and opens like a Word document basically. But it's all, it's weird because it's like formatted like sentences and paragraphs and headers and all that kind of stuff, but it's basically gibberish. And so he like gets all pissed off and he like, ah, and he knocks some of the stuff off his desk and he kicks something. He's like, I'm so sick of this crap. And Scully sits down and she looks at the screen and she's like, it may not be gibberish. I think it's encrypted. And then she recognizes it and says, it looks like Navajo. And she says that her father told her during World War II, that was the only code the Japanese couldn't break. And he asked her if she can find out for sure if it's Navajo. And she says, there's only a handful of people who can decipher it. And Mulder tells her to try. And then he heads for the door and she asks if he's okay. And he says he is, he just hasn't been sleeping. Yeah. Honestly, my first thought when, it came up and it looked all like funky and unreadable was like that it was encrypted in some way and not just like random gibberish and Mulder I mean he's obviously a little off his rocker in this episode but I just thought it was funny that he like has this whole like little fit about it and doesn't even consider that like maybe it's encryption or something but yeah it's funny yeah well I mean so one it's like that's not really how encryption works yeah I mean Um, that's semantics it's more it's more of a translation and possibly a translation to a replacement code but it's not really like encryption because like the enigma technically didn't encrypt things it coded things right like if it had been encrypted like it, he wouldn't have seen like the department of defense screen and he wouldn't actually be able to open the document mm-hmm. unless you had like the key code but it does what's weird is that it does, since like, like i said it's all formatted and it's got like you know headers and then paragraphs it does look like just like like the dummy kind of text even though it's all crazy script kind of thing so I could see where you would think it was just someone like messing around, just typing yeah. garbage and making it look like. So like, you know, almost like if you were making like gibberish text to be in the background on a computer screen on a television set or something right. like, you know, we need to make it look like there's text on the screen, but it's not really text. I'm not going to write something. I'm just going to like hit keys. So that's what it looks like. But I mean, yeah, it's just like a substitution kind of thing or a translation. So yeah. But although Scully doesn't know that until she sits down to look at it. No, but we do. I mean, you get stolen government data. So you take it to your government job and you put it in your government computer, which is undoubtedly networked to look at it. Like, what are you thinking? 
I mean, they're because they're always working against the government, though. So I don't know. I mean, it didn't strike me as that weird. Plus, Mulder's obviously crazy irrational in this episode. So like, he's well, doesn't matter how much you're working against the government. You're at a computer that's owned by the government and is networked. Yeah, at least intranet, if not internet. And you stick it in a computer that's it's probably something that they keep an eye on yeah. see what people are looking at. I guess he's if thinking... nothing else to like log his daily porn viewing. <laughs> well, I'm guessing so... no one does probably because of his daily porn viewing. <laughs> people probably don't look at Mulder's like, computer. Oh my God. They're like, we don't need to look at spooky Mulder's nonsense. So we're just going to skip it. <laughs> Maybe it's the yeah, safest but, computer to put yeah. it on. To be honest, and you wouldn't really know. want on your I mean, home computer either. <laughs> he could have gone to the lone gunman, yeah, and got like a you know. I mean, ideally, you would have like, let's go get a new computer and make sure it's <laughs> not connected to the internet, and stick it in there and try to read it, so you know there's nothing on it that can track you. But yeah, you know, especially if you're going like to Russian websites to look for television shows, you gotta make sure you take some precautions. So, <laughs> and then speaking of the fourth commandment, the fourth commandment is. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. And so I guess Mulder is thinking like on the seventh day, God created aliens or something, I guess is what his implication is for that. Or that he has side projects that he's not telling you. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Hobbies. I mean, you know. I don't know the commandments. I'm a heretic. I mean, I had to look it up because I was like, what the hell is he talking about? Yeah. When he first said the fourth commandment, I was like, uh, I don't know what he's talking about. So I looked it up. I'm not super smart. I mean, I maybe am, but I still look stuff up. So anyway. (laughs) Anyway. So Skinner leaves his office and is heading down the hall when Mulder calls after him. And Skinner tells Mulder he needs to speak with him. And he clearly doesn't want to talk in the hall, but he asks Mulder to go into his office. And Mulder kind of pushes back and Skinner finally like tells him in a hushed voice. He's like, there's a rumor that you may be in possession of some sensitive files. And Mulder claims not to know anything about that. And Skinner starts to level with him and Mulder turns. So Skinner grabs his shoulder and Mulder turns around and punches him in the face. And Skinner's glasses fly off and he hits him again. And other people like rush over and they pull Mulder off him. And Mulder gets out of their grasp and he attacks Skinner again. Like he is just going for him. And Skinner grabs him and he like puts him in a chokehold. And he finally gets Mulder to stop fighting against him. And Skinner pushes him away and he's like, we're done. It's a really, it's a weird, I mean, it's a great scene because Skinner is awesome. But it's a weird scene because Mulder just kind of like hits him and then just keeps going. It's like adrenaline on high. Like he cannot stop. Yeah. Skinner does really aggressively grab him when he turns around, though. Oh, I mean, it's, not, it's, like, it's not like he just puts his hand on his shoulder. No, but... He, like, reaches out and, like, wrenches him back. But so... if somebody did that to you in an I office, know. would you turn around yeah, and punch him in the face? No. Probably not. Like, it no, wasn't but that. Still, because, but he's still, like, Skinner is also aggressive a little bit. Not, I mean, not to the point of, like, punching people, but yeah. yeah. It's a little more than, like, hey, where are you going kind of thing. It was like, get your ass back here. Yeah. They're talking to you. So, yeah. Oh, and then it's commercial. Yes. Um, because Mulder's career just died. Yeah, apparently. Jeez. <laughs> I don't know. He just like totally attacked the assistant director of the FBI. It's not well. Yeah. So then it's April 13th. So another day has passed. And Scully arrives in Skinner's office. And Skinner's expression is somber. 
and there are other people sitting at his conference table. It's like, remember in Host when Mulder busts into Skinner's <laughs> office and then Skinner's like, I don't have time to talk to you. And Mulder's like, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, all right, fine, Agent Mulder, come on in. And Mulder's like, oh, yeah. And he's like, oh, oh shit. There's all these people there. Yeah. Table full of people. Same kind of deal, except for Scully's not necessarily like, oh shit, because she was not like barging in, right? She was invited. So, and Skinner asked her to have a seat. And one of them in the table asked Scully if she has heard about the incident in the hallway yesterday. And she says, yes. And then he asked if she has any explanation for Mulder's bizarre behavior. And she says, no, but she does add that Mulder told her he was having trouble sleeping. And then another person at the table asks her if Mulder confides in her. And she says, of course, he's my partner. And then another person at the table is like, weren't you originally assigned to Mulder to debunk his work? And she says, yes. And she has been writing regular reports on the validity of Mulder's work for the X-Files. And then he asks her if she would lie to protect him. And she's like, am I being accused of lying? And she's told that Mulder has been notified of a disciplinary hearing. And if they learn anything at that hearing that Scully has failed to disclose to them today, that she may face the same summary action. And she's like, and what action is that? And Skinner says, dismissal without chance for reinstatement. And he doesn't look really happy about saying it, Mm-mm. but he says it. No. And then she asks if that's all. And Skinner says, yes, and thanks her. And then she gets up and she leaves and goes into the outer office and then goes out of the thing completely. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So one of the men, the guy who's like, weren't you originally assigned to debunk the X-Files? That guy. I In my notes, I called him Agent Chris Carter because I'm like, that guy looks a lot like Chris Carter. Like... That's funny. I wonder if they cast him because he looks like Chris Carter. <laughs> and then later I looked it up and it is Chris Carter. He's just got a cameo in this episode. So I wasn't wrong. He does look like Chris Carter because it is Chris Carter. A little bit of that Tory white guy blindness. Yeah. Not, <laughs> so, well, I know. I knew yeah. he looked like Chris Carter. <laughs> I just didn't think it was him. And then I was like, oh, it is him. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, when he asked her if wasn't she originally assigned to Mulder to like debunk his stuff, she says, yes, it's been a year and a half since she was partnered with Mulder. But Pilot takes place in March 1992. And we did talk about how the fact that that was like a weird choice that they made to make it like happen a year before the episode aired. It's like 18 months before the episode aired because it aired in September of 93. But even if you retconned it to 93, March of 93 to April of 95, would still be over two years not a year and a half so a little weirdness there yeah they're not good with the timeline on the show no they're not as really. we have discussed i mean they've kept the dates in order so far we've been For, going by yeah so, it's true and she does say like are you aware of what happened yesterday and it was yesterday according to the things we're getting so sweet so then we're at west tisbury in martha's vineyard massachusetts <gasps> i know who lives there yeah, it's Mulder's dad. And a car arrives at Mulder's father's house. And through frosted glass, we see this silhouette of an FBI agent-like person. And Bill Mulder's inside the home. And he kind of hesitates on the stairs when he sees the silhouette. Almost like he recognizes it. Mm-hmm. And then he opens the door. And it's the cigarette-smoking man. <gasps> and he says, hello, Bill. And Bill asks what the cigarette-smoking man is doing there. And the cigarette smoking man says he's come on pressing business. And Bill starts to say like, hey, we agreed, but the cigarette smoking man cuts him off and says that was a long time ago. There's been an unforeseen event. 
So then they're sitting at a table and they have some scotch and Bill says, no one was supposed to know. And the cigarette smoking man says, who could have predicted the future that the computers we'd only dreamed of would become home appliances capable of espionage. And Bill says the files should have been destroyed and cigarette smoking man agrees, but obviously the files weren't. So Bill asks the cigarette smoking man, how he knows that Mulder has the files and the cigarette smoking man says the man who stole them came forward. And Cigarette Smoking Man also says, we'll maintain plausible deniability over the authenticity of the files. And Bill's like, my name is in those files. And the Cigarette Smoking Man reminds him that they're encrypted, which gives them some time. And Bill's like, you wouldn't harm him. And Cigarette Smoking Man says, I've protected Mulder this long, haven't I? Ooh. Besides, the last thing they need is a martyr for the crusade. And Bill asks, what if Mulder learns of his involvement? And the cigarette smoking man says, Bill's always been his own man, but in the event Mulder does find out, he encourages him to deny everything. And then the cigarette smoking man leaves. <sighs> so I totally remember this. And like, I don't know, I remember the scene, but like, ooh, like there's some interesting reveals here. Like we've talked before about how William B. Davis has this whole spiel about how the cigarette smoking man's actually like, the good guy but like <laughs> the fact that he's quote-unquote protected Mulder maybe not necessarily in a way you'd want someone to protect you well we have said many times that like why didn't they just kill Mulder right I mean I think it's probably it would be easier than the thing they've done so, yeah. yeah so clearly doing some work behind the scenes and the fact that like Bill Mulder is somehow involved with the cigarette smoking man Ooh, some juicy information which we did well, maybe not directly with the cigarette smoking man but we did have some like it seems like he knows a little more of what's going on with the whole like calling in game thing. Yeah. So he seemed a yeah. little more in tune and like he kind of told Mulder too a couple of times. I think he said a few things yeah. in calling in and game that made it seem like he definitely. Yeah. There's a things. part where he hesitates when he says your sister and then he says Sam instead, which is like, hmm, yeah, weird. But yeah. Uh, Peter Donut, who plays. Um, I think that's how you say it, do not. I'm not sure, actually. But who plays Mulder's dad. He has, like, an eye infection or something in this scene. His eye is, like, all super red and kind of not good-looking. And he kind of, like, favors it later, too. He kind of, like, it's closed more than the other eye. Um, it looks real. It probably is real. But I, I wonder, like, I would be thinking, like, dude, don't be messing with my eyes. Like, don't be putting things to make them all irritated just for a TV show. So I'm guessing it probably was real. But, yeah, who knows? Yeah. Sometimes people's eyes are messed up. Yeah. Mine is bugging the crap out of me today. I've been rubbing it like nobody's business. Oh, so. no. I hate when that happens. Yeah. Different eye, but it's very distracting. Yeah. yeah. Also, hmm, I guess it's just convenience sake, right? But Mulder's dad, like, cigarette smoking man is like, Bill, Bill, Bill. But Bill never says the cigarette smoking man's name. No, because we don't ever get to know his name, I don't think. I think we do. I think we get to know a name. I don't know. Yeah, if we get to know that it's in the future, but we don't know it yet, point. and we, they definitely don't yeah. want us to know now. Yeah. So maybe he's named William. He is William B. Davis. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> anyway, let's be putting a pin in that. Not talking about it yet. So then Mulder is sleeping on his sofa and someone is in his apartment standing over him. 
And Mulder kind of wakes up and then he grabs for his gun and he knocks the phone over, but it's Scully. And she tells him that he didn't answer the door. And Mulder says he took a pill to help him sleep. And Scully says she was worried about him when she couldn't find him at work. And he tells her that he's been running a fever. And so he came home. Scully tells him about her being called into Skinner's office. And he's like, well, what did you tell them? And she's like, I told him that nothing was wrong. And Mulder's like, well, that's not a lie. It's the truth. And she tells him that he opened the door for them. They're just going to be looking for a good reason now. And he's like, well, I'll tell them I'm sorry. And then Scully asks, who knows that he has those files? And he's like, why? And she says that she had to lie today. And if she put her job in jeopardy, mm. and then he asks how they'd find out. And she points out that they might have already known. And she kind of gets a little pissed off, I guess you could say. She's a little heated. heated. Yeah, I mean, she's a little upset. And to be fair, Mulder's acting like kind of a dick. Like he's kind of being yeah, like yeah. dismissive. Like, I mean, it, ironic, that's an ironic choice of words, but he is kind of being like, what does it matter? Well, nothing's wrong. Like who cares who knows? Yeah. And it's kind of like, I don't, I don't know. I don't blame her for being a little pissy. Although she is just kind of, it sounds more like she's just worried about losing her job than anything else. But anyway, and so she asks if the cassette is really worth losing everything. And Mulder starts to get hot too. And he's like, well, I'll tell you when I find out what's on it. And then he asks if she's found out someone who can break the code. And she says she's meeting with someone in an hour and will know more tonight. But she needs some kind of assurance from him that the people in charge aren't going to just let them hang themselves with this information. And reassurance that she's doing the right thing by helping Mulder. And so Mulder nods. And then he opens his blinds and he pulls out some masking tape. And he says, I'll try and find out. And so he puts the X in his window. And Scully tells him she needs to know one more thing why he attacks Skinner. And so he finishes putting the X in the window and he's like, you know, I thought about it and I honestly can't tell you. And so she looks kind of worried and then she leaves <laughs> and then he puts the little desk lamp behind the tape to eliminate the X through the window. So I'm not sure why Mulder is like incapable of finding a Navajo code talker on his own. Like Scully's dad told her a story. And so now like she's suddenly the expert and he's the only person capable of finding the stuff. Like he's an FBI agent. He has connections. Why doesn't he just do it himself? I think because he's not it. feeling good. And I think because Scully said she was going to do it. So I guess because they need a plot. He's leaving it Scully. in her hands. So, yeah. Yeah. And I get that Mulder is not like in the greatest mental state here, mm -mm. but it's daytime. And everyone knows the bat signal doesn't work during the day. It's light outside. Also, it's like the most obviously secret method of contact ever. Mulder. Come on. Like, Honestly, I'm put surprised. an X in my window and shine a light on it so everyone on the street can see it. Yeah, that's subtle. Good job. I'm surprised X is still even paying attention for that. Bothers. To be honest. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> so then we're at the offices of the Navajo Nation in Washington, D.C. And we see a woman sitting behind a desk and she's looking at a printout. Wait a minute. Didn't Mulder say he was done with X last time we saw X? I mean, obviously. <laughs> I just realized that as we're doing this, like live in the recording studio here. He did. At Black Hat Studios. He told X they were done and never wanted to see him again. And now he's putting an X in his window. Desperate times. Desperate times. This is and the problem when you only have a couple people you can go to for help is then you're stuck going back to people you might not want to go to. Oh, man. I, I oh, man, that like totally missed that till just now. <laughs> oh, so then we're at the offices of the Navajo Nation in Washington, D.C. And we see a woman sitting behind a desk and she's looking at a printout. 
And she asks Scully if this printout is all she has. And Scully says, currently, yes, like on my person. That's all I have with me. And she tells her there are words she recognizes, but Scully will need an actual code talker to make any sense of it. And she does know a man who might help and she'll have him contact Scully. And Scully thanks her and hands her her card. And then she asks which words she recognizes. And the woman points out the word merchandise and the word vaccination. They're modern words and that's why they stand out. So Scully thanks her. And the woman, the character's name in the credits is Josephine Doan. She doesn't really get a name in the scene, I don't think. I don't think so, no. But she's played by Renee Morisot, who you may recognize because she played Gwen Goodensnake in Shapes. She's also appeared in a handful of shows and TV movies, including North of 60 and In Cold Blood. And so just for clarification, too, like how the Navajo Code Talker stuff worked, it wasn't just that they translated it directly into Navajo and people who didn't know Navajo couldn't figure it out. Right. They actually did use another substitution level above that. So they would say, like, this word, we're going to use this, like, letter for it. And mm-hmm. then they would use, like, the Navajo letter for that word. Right. Or, like, they would say the words, like, hummingbird, and hummingbird meant, like, a specific type of airplane or something like that, too. So there's, right. like, it was, like, levels of the code. So it wasn't just, like... right. All you got to do is learn Navajo and it's fine. So that's another reason why I think it's maybe more difficult to like. Right. So you can't just find someone who speaks Navajo and they can read it. Because obviously she can't. Because they could read it, but then they wouldn't understand what it makes. It doesn't make sense. Right. Yeah. It's kind of nonsense to you if you don't know what's going on. Yep. So back at Mulder's apartment, the ex is still illuminated the window and Mulder is sitting on the couch and he's looking kind of sweaty and feverish and he's drinking some water and his phone rings and it's his dad. And his dad says that he needs to see him right away. And Mulder's like, well, where are you? And his dad says, I'm at home. And he's like, how soon can you get here? And Mulder looks at the X in the window. And then as he's doing that, we hear his father say, like, it's very important that you come. So Mm -hmm. later, Scully enters Mulder's apartment. And the light is still on. And the X is illuminating the window. And it's now dark. So actually, it maybe would actually work as a signal, maybe. And Scully stands at his desk in front of the window and is looking at some papers, just like going through his mail and stuff, I guess. Whatever, Scully. They're close. And then the it's gunshot fine. comes through the window. <laughs> and that's why he shot at her. Because like, hey, stop looking at my mail. I see you up there. <laughs> anyway, no, it's not Mulder shooting at her. Oh, maybe. We don't know. But then Scully like falls to the ground. And we hear a car speed away. And she gets up. And like we see the bullet hole is in the window right above the X. And so apparently... Mulder's got some good windows because the window didn't just shatter. There's actually just a bullet hole in the window. Mm -hmm. Maybe the masking tape is holding the window together. I don't know. And then the bullet is embedded in the wall behind Scully. And then she like reaches over and touches her head and realizes it's bleeding. So the bullet must just grazed her. So she's lucky that whoever shot at her is a bad shot. Mm -hmm. She's dead. So yeah, convenient that. So Mulder arrives at his father's house and he's kind of scruffy. He's got a five o'clock shadow. And Mulder comes in and Bill hugs him. I'm just going to call his dad Bill just for the sake of clarity. So it's not That's Mulder, fine. Mulder. And Bill hugs him and then makes sure to lock the door. And then they sit in the living room and Bill tells Mulder, it's so clear now, so simple. It was so complicated then, the choices that needed to be made. And Mulder asks, what choices? And Bill tells Mulder that he's smarter than Bill ever was. Mulder's never thrown in, and the minute you do, their doctrines become yours, and you can be held responsible. And Mulder thinks he's talking about his work in the State Department. Bill tells him that he'll learn things, 
hear words and they'll come to make sense to him. And Mulder asks, what words? And Bill says, the merchandise. And he looks a little <gasps> lost. And we know, you know, the merchandise is one of the words on the document. Uh-huh. So Mulder stands up and puts a hand on his shoulder. And Bill says he's been taking some medication and he excuses himself for a moment. So he goes into the bathroom and he stares at himself in the mirror. And then he opens the medicine cabinet to get a pill bottle. And when Bill closes it again, we see Alex Krychek is standing behind the partially open shower curtain behind him. <gasps> Krychek is back and he's in the shower like a creep boy. <laughs> Which is very, very in character. And Mulder is slumped oh on the couch. Gosh. And so Mulder slumped. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, so Mulder yeah. slumped on the couch and then a gunshot goes off. And <gasps> so Mulder rushes into the bathroom and he sees his father on the floor and there's blood behind his head and like coming out of his mouth and there's pills all over the rug. So clearly when he was shot, he dropped the bottle and the pills went everywhere. And then Mulder hears a car peel out outside. And Bill's last words are, forgive me. And then he dies. Yep. And then we have a commercial because someone's dead. Mm -hmm. Not to be callous, but I mean, that's what happens. That's how commercials work in the X-Files. So. <laughs> yeah. And of course, Mulder's dad calls him Fox the whole time, right? Yeah. Because they're, you know, he doesn't call him Mulder. Yeah. And also, importantly, I think, is that when Mulder first arrives, his dad gives him a big hug in the, like, entryway. Mm -hmm. And Mulder kind of was, like, taken aback and actually doesn't hug his dad back. Gonna regret that later, but remember in Colony when Mulder arrives at the house, he goes to hug his dad, and his dad just puts his hand out. He doesn't want to hug; he just wants to shake hands. He's very formal. Mm -hmm. So something has changed. Yeah, something's going um, on. We won't find out what because Dad didn't know. Maybe so. he has a dark secret that he's afraid is gonna make him lose Mulder forever. Maybe I don't know. I mean, I guess he kind of did anyway, because he did. <laughs> so also, they have curtained windows in their shower. Yeah, I mean, some people, some bathrooms do. I've definitely seen bathrooms That's like that. That's weird. It's not that I mean, weird. I, I, I like showers with a window, because you can open it, and it's fresh, and occasionally you actually get a really good... Oh, like, I see what you're saying with the curtains. Gotcha, okay. Yeah, but it's got curtains. Ah, oh, so gotcha, like, okay. That makes more sense. Curtains. I was like, yeah, lots of windows, yeah, windows showers, fine. dude. I that's got no problem thing. with the window. I mean, that's usually not an apartment thing. That's more of like a No, it's house like a thing. rich people, I own a house rich. thing. Yeah, <laughs> but but to have curtains is weird because like they're going to get wet. Yeah, that's true. I didn't like, think about that's that. That's just weird and gross <laughs> and moldy. And then, yeah, again, maybe they have a maid who washes them all the time. I don't know. So... Then we come back and Mulder is laying his father's body on the couch. And I'm sorry, I have to do it now. I can't wait till the end of this scene. Like, what are you doing, Mulder? You don't move a body at a crime scene. What are, what are you doing? Well, oh I know in this, like... It's, it's your dad, sure, but like, come on, dude. And it bolsters Scully's argument later, too, that he's going to be framed for this. Yeah. Because, yeah, it's not... Anyway, so then he calls yeah. Scully and like his hands are covered in blood. Mm -hmm. And he tells her that his father is dead and they shot him. And she's like, where are you? And he's like, I'm on the vineyard. And Scully's like, were you arguing? And Mulder's like, I didn't do it. And he's like, my father was trying to tell me something. And he tells her that she has to believe him. And she's like, I do believe you. And you need to get out of there. You have to leave immediately. And Mulder's like, I can't leave a crime scene. 
it'll make me look totally guilty if I run. And I'm like, dude, you just moved the body. You got blood on your hands mm-hmm. everywhere. Like, why are you saying this? He like smacks the wall and turns the lights off. So like, he's got bloody handprints everywhere. It's like, oh my God. Mulder, come on. And Scully tells him they'll suspect him anyway. And like, he doesn't know who the shooter is and his behavior has been really irrational and everything points directly at him. And he's like, it wasn't even my gun. And then she's like, Mulder, you're an FBI agent. You have access to other weapons. And I'm like, well, so does almost anybody else, really. But anyway, and Mulder tells her to meet him at his apartment. She's like, no, you can't come home. Someone shot at me and almost killed me. And they might be trying to kill you. And I'm like, yeah, Scully, like, always burying the lead. Like, wait till the last. Like, well, in her defense in this situation, he just told her that his father is dead. She sort of suspects maybe he shot his father in like some kind of weird rage, like he attacked Skinner, figures out that he probably didn't, but he's probably being framed and he needs to get out of their ASAP. And so like, it's kind of hard for that to come up until the end because there's kind of a lot going on. It's not- Well, I mean, you say like, my dad's dead and someone shot him. It could be like, oh my God, Mulder, you need to go because someone just tried to kill me too. True. Like, but... And just like jump to that leap of like, obviously Mulder didn't kill his dad, right? Someone's out to kill like the Mulder family or yeah. whatever, right? And, but it's just, I know it's just, all, it's that, we've talked about it before of like, she's always like, everything looks totally normal, blah, 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 blah. Oh, except for this. It's like, <laughs> you read the whole report. You don't have to like pretend everything's fine until the end. Come on. But yeah. <laughs> so then Mulder arrives at Scully's and he basically like just like collapses into her arms. So I'm sure everyone is like super happy about that. And she notices that he's sick. <laughs> like finally she notices he's sick. And so she helps he him take her. off his so she helps him take off his clothes, takes off his jacket. Oh. I like his shirt is like totally covered in his dad's blood. Uh-huh. And she helps him get onto the bed. And then he sits up and he's like, We have to find out who killed my father. And she's like, no, no, right now you just need to rest. And she puts the cool towel on his forehead. And then we cut the scene. Yeah. He did manage to wash his hands before he left, though, so that's cool. Yeah. His hands are clean, but his shirt is totally covered in blood. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, but yeah, I'm sure everyone is super happy about like them just like oh in each other's arms and she's having to help and dress him. And I'm sure it is kind of sweet though, because like she is like she's been eh. worried about him this whole episode. The acting and... could be better, but oh I yeah. think it's good. I liked him. <laughs> I don't have a problem with it. And then the scene that everybody loves. It's April 14th and Mulder wakes up in bed, in Scully's bed, wearing only his underwear. Another day has passed, which makes sense because it's nighttime and then it's morning, right? Yeah. So I do have to say, as a guy, I realize that like dudes are different. And I've seen lots of dudes, you know, you know, I've seen dudes. Normal male genitalia does not look like that in underwear. I'm sorry. Oh, I didn't even look. I'm going to say I think there might be some prosthetics going on in that scene. I did not. I could be wrong. I don't know. I haven't seen David DeCosme's junk, but normal junk doesn't look like that in a pair of underwear. I did not Um, look at his underwear region. That did not occur to me as something to even look towards. Um, But I did. He is in underwear. And it does. Unless he really has like sucked his testicles up into his abdomen. Normal genitalia does not look like that, but who knows? But anyway, he has all the covers pushed off and he's like in his eyes, clearly because he was fever sweating, right? Like it's not, it's not really a sexy yeah. thing. Um, and he calls- Although who undressed him? <laughs> yeah, maybe that one. I don't know. Anyway, the point is he wakes up, he's in bed. Maybe Skinner came over and addressed him. 
It's you guys can read Nick's everywhere. fan fiction on Archive of Our Own, <laughs> and it will be Skinner taking care of Mulder when he's sick. Um, <laughs> Even though Mulder punched him, he's like, I know, babe. I know you're feeling bad. <laughs> well, now we know what Nick's OTP is for this series. Angry sex is the best sex, isn't it? Usually, <laughs> actually, it's not. That's really gross. But anyway, so. <laughs> so anyhow, Mulder calls for Scully. She's not there. He finds his pants, and then he realizes that his gun is not in his holster. <gasps> and we get to the FBI headquarters. And that's not a euphemism, by the way, just so you no, know. No, his actual gun is not in his holster. <laughs> And then we're at FBI headquarters and we're at the firearms unit and a firearms expert is firing what is obviously Mulder's gun. And when he finishes, he tells Scully that he'll compare the bullets fired to the bullets recovered from the victim. It should be pretty quick to figure out if they came from the same weapon. So she's trying to get evidence that he didn't shoot his dad, basically. I do love how like every forensic person in these shows, like he doesn't like you made it nice and concise in your summary, yeah. but like every person has to like explain like the super details of their work. Whenever someone just like asks like a yes or no question, like, yeah. Are you, will you get the answer pretty soon? He's like, yeah. After we do da, 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 and da, 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 and da, da, da. And it's like, I don't care. Dude. <laughs> like just yes or no. It's fine. <laughs> but Yeah whatever so then Mulder calls and he's like you took my gun because you think I did it and Scully's like no I took it to run it through ballistics because I'm trying to clear you and show that your father wasn't shot with your gun and then he's like why didn't you ask me and she's like you had a temperature of 102 last night I didn't want to wake you up and Mulder accuses her of worrying that he'll shoot her too and she like kind of ignores that because obviously he's being (laughs) that's not what's going on and She tells him she's being called into Skinner's office this afternoon and they're going to want answers. And she wants concrete answers to give them. And then he accuses her of trying to clear her conscience and her name and says that she's been reporting on him from the beginning. And she's like, Mulder, you're sick. You're not thinking straight. I'm on your side. You know that. And he says, you have my files and you have my gun. Don't ask me for my trust. And then he hangs up, which, dude, harsh, harsh. Uh, I don't know. I think I it's mean, harsh. Let's be honest. He didn't say anything that was false. She basically has handed over or lost all the real evidence they've ever actually had. Ray Soames' probe, the alien fetus, the file on the Sleepless Project, Dwayne Barry's probe. She does have his current files and his only copy because no one ever makes backups of anything on this damn show. And she has his gun. And she has been writing reports on him since day one. So he's not wrong about anything. And given the information he has, like, there's no lie to what he thinks. Well, there's so. no lie, but he's wrong. Like, obviously, he, well, Scully's been on his side. and she, You know that. He doesn't know that. He does so know is it harsh? that. That's the thing. It's not harsh if he doesn't know that. It is harsh because he does. And he's no, I, clearly being you, irrational. So you're saying he's lying to her then? He's not lying. He's, he's just reacting. being a jerk. Well, but, but then that means... He, must know like he's being paranoid because he of, doesn't know he obviously doesn't know in this moment yeah because know. well because he's paranoid because so. of the stuff in his system i don't yeah. think it's because but also scully if you're gonna take someone's gun take the holster too because he would probably be less likely to think you stole his gun and that you maybe just put it somewhere safe if you took the holster as well don't just leave an empty holster in his pants so he can be like oh yeah my gun is totally missing you take the whole thing so you think oh she must put my gun somewhere not just leave an empty holster there well but. she's not trying to trick him either she thought he'd probably be asleep because he was sick no but like you don't like what did she think was gonna happen when he woke up and found his gun gone i don't think she thought he was gonna wake up oh scully <laughs> is trying to protect me by getting the ballistics on my gun to prove i, didn't I mean my maybe dad. no he's not gonna think that 
Come on. <laughs> the mind of others. Put yourself in that frame when you're behaving around them. So anyway, but again, like for the umpteenth, 30th time, like make multiple copies of stuff when you have secret files for good. Oh my God. And seriously, don't just hand your only copy over to someone, no matter how much you trust them, because what? Trust no one, right? Well, That's also, even the show's if you trust them, motto. that doesn't mean that that copy can't get stolen or destroyed. So, exactly. So, yeah. Backups. But they never do. Never. Ever. Anyway. So then Scully digs the bullet casing out of the wall in Mold's apartment. And you would think she would have done that before she went to go see the ballistics dude to save herself a trip. But anyway, and out the window, she notices there's this big white van parked in front of his building. And there's a man loading a tank of some kind into it. And so she goes down to the basement and she sees a row of water softener tanks. But one is new and is unlabeled. So they're all like, they're all kind of like, you know, they've been there for all right. They got like some grime on them and dust, dust or whatever. Yeah. And they're like, water softener, water softener. Water. They're all uniform, same color, been there a while. And there's one that's like super clean and a different color, doesn't have a label. And even the connections are new. Like maybe those connections maybe didn't even exist before the tank arrived looks weird so she unhooks the tanks mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so at least but yeah i mean why didn't i don't i don't know why she's getting the bullet now if sure i went to ballistics but i guess she likes to visit them so any chance she can get to go see them <laughs> yeah. seems weird anyway so it's night and a cab pulls up to Mulder's building and Mulder gets out so clearly he is taking a cab and as he heads up the steps he sees a figure disappear around the side of the building so he runs inside and he actually goes through the building out the back door and he manages to head the figure off and he sees a man with a gun and it's Krychek, or at least we can see that it's Krychek. So he reaches for his gun and then he remembers he doesn't have it. So he kind of like, cause he's just got an empty holster backs around. The, <laughs> so he backs around the corner and as the man approaches, he grabs him and he pushes him against the wall and Mulder slams Krychek's head against the wall several times. And then his gun falls from his hand and Mulder punches him in the face and then he gets him backed against this like windshield hood of a car and he grabs the gun and he holds it on him. And Mulder says he's going to kill Krychek anyway, so he might as well tell him the truth. Did you kill my father? And Krychek doesn't answer. And Mulder shouts, answer me. And Krychek says nothing. So Mulder picks him up, punches him again and throws him to the ground. And then he picks him back up and he holds the gun to his face. And Scully comes running out and she shouts Mulder's name and she has her gun on Krychek and she tells Mulder not to shoot him. And Mulder's like, he killed my father. And Mulder's fingers are like tightening on the trigger. And so Scully fires and she shoots Mulder in the arm because she's trying to keep him from shooting Krychek. And Krychek runs away like the little coward he is. And then we hear a bystander shout for someone to call the police. So. And then it's commercial. Yeah. No one died. No one so. died. Thankfully, so. I'm rubbing off on Tori because now she's putting commentary in the summaries, and yeah. so got to get my digs in about Crycheck <laughs> while I can. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. behind the scenes, I think we mentioned this before, but Tori does all the summaries for X Files episodes. Mm-hmm. I, however, write all the summaries for our upcoming premium feed, 
of the X-Files adjacent things that we do for that. Mm-hmm. And like culture. I tend to write in my own voice. And so there's like commentary just everywhere. And Tori always <laughs> ends up having to stumble over it and laugh. So she's reading it. Like, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's this say? I'm apparently rubbing off on her. Yeah. So. Well, and he makes references to things. I'm like, I don't even know what that is. And so I'm like reading and then I'm like, Kolchak, Krychek does, or no, Kolchak, Krychek, Kolchak does this. And then it's like, wait, what? See, I do think that that is intentional. Probably. That's, it probably is yeah. like some homage to Kolchak. Yeah. 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 So I really. We should call Agent Chris Carter. But he killed my father. Krychek should have been, but I am your father. <laughs> I mean, it's it's actually dramatic, <laughs> but when you like read it and you're like, like it does sound kind of silly because it's like I don't know, it's sad in the show, but then like it does sound kind of funny. Mulder's all standing there with like one hand missing. You killed my father. I am your father. You killed my father. Prepared to die, and then he could just go into the hole. Oh, now you're mixing, you're mixing, you're mixing the references. Now I am. Mi- I went from Star Wars to Princess Bride. One that I've never seen. Yeah. So even though I know it. Anyway, so like I said, we had a commercial, and then we come back from the commercial, and now it's April 16th, and so we've jumped ahead yeah. a couple of days. We skipped April tax day. Screw tax day. No one wants to talk about tax day. We just skip tax day altogether. It's April 16th now. We're skipping April 15th. And Albert is standing over Mulder. Albert's there. The older Navajo gentleman. Yes. Right? Yeah. From the teaser. And he's like, he's awake. And Scully comes over and she sits on the bed and tells him to drink some water. He hasn't had any water in over 36 hours. And Mulder looks better than he did before, but he has bandages on his shoulder. And she tells him his shoulder will be fine. The round went through nice and clean. And he's like, you shot me. And she says she did it because he didn't give her much choice. He was about to shoot Krychek. And so Mulder's like, why did you shoot me? Krychek is the one who killed my father and was going to kill me. And Scully says, that if, even if that's true, if you shot Krychek with his gun, then that same gun probably killed your dad. And there'd be no way to prove that you also didn't kill your dad. And so Mulder's kind of like, you're smart. Thanks for protecting me. Also, he has his fingerprints all over Krychek's gun now, too. Yeah. Which is obviously the gun that did kill his dad, which isn't great, honestly, but. You know, yeah, the whole situation is not, not ideal. I mean, so you might as well have killed Krychek, honestly, using that <laughs> logic, because like it doesn't matter now. Your fingerprints are already on the gun. So, but anyway, so Scully's like, I'm sorry about your father. I didn't get a chance to tell you before. And Mulder's like, how did you know it was Krychek? And she's like, I didn't. But then she explains that she went to his building to pull the slug out. She saw a van. And then she found a filter in the soft water tank in the building that was pumping something into his water. And given his level of psychosis, it was probably LSD or something. And Mulder mentions there was a murder in his building. And Scully says, well, it wasn't an exercise in subtlety. So he doesn't just like poison his water. No, they probably couldn't just get in his water. So it's probably like his whole floor or something. Yeah. Uh, Which would explain the shooting Mm -hmm. on his floor. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I knew Mulder had to be drugged or something because obviously... He's been dialed up to like 20 and you know. well and in every scene in his apartment he's drinking a glass of water like yeah you like hint at that anymore that there's something in the water yeah honestly. but also just he's acting so. completely erratically and you know feverish and sick and punching skinner in the face and you know just not being yeah molder we should also note that now it's april 16th so it has been exactly one week since eric found the alien corpse on april 9th nice 
Yes. Also, I'm not a doctor, but I can actually touch my body and feel things. And given the position of Mulder's entry and exit wounds, I don't think that bullet could have gone through clean without hitting some bone. There's like, it would have like busted up some clavicles or something. Eh, he'll, he'll heal. Yeah. He'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. So He's got yeah. a doctor with him. That'd be cool. <laughs> well, I mean, and she even says like she knocked him out like for 36 hours because of his fever. Yeah. So, like, she like drugged him after well, that. Well, because she was also trying she, to. like shot him and then she drugged him. Well, because she was trying to get the, the stuff out of his system, whatever he's been poisoned with. She was trying to keep him sedated until that stuff had passed through his system because he wasn't acting rationally and was being crazy paranoid and she just you know wanted to sound like she's abducted him honestly well she sort of did but like in a good way like in a mm. i'm protecting you way this is all from your point of view i'm gonna shoot you inject you with drugs versus i'm gonna stick some alien probes in you i mean i think it's all about context i'm just being irascible <laughs> i can't i'm just being yeah, i'm just being I'm just being a jerk, honestly. So Scully believes the men who, like, you know, poisoned the water in his building also killed his father, and it basically tried to turn everyone against Mulder. And she doesn't need to tell him why. And Mulder says, I've gotten too close to the truth. And she nods. And Mulder asks where they are. And she tells him they're in Farmington, New Mexico. And she sedated him during the drive to let the side effects of the psychosis abate. So basically, yeah, she just let it wear out of his system. And then she introduces him to Albert Holstein and he's been translating Mulder's files. He's also been in the room the whole time. And Albert tells Mulder he's lucky because Scully's a good shot. And obviously she wasn't <laughs> be so good. Um, and Mulder smiles and looks at the wound and he kind of, you know, makes a joke and he says, or a bad one. And then she smiles. It's kind of a sweet scene. So clearly he's not mad about being shot and he understands that like he was drugged and being a little bit out of his head. She tells him that Albert was a Navajo code talker during World War II and helped encode the original government documents. And Mulder asks how she found him. And Scully says, through a woman in Washington. But Albert claims he knew Mulder was coming. And Albert goes to the door of the motel room and then he turns around and he tells Mulder that last week they had an omen. And then he leaves. Yeah. I think we'll put a pin in this part too. Um, I want to talk about this later. It's actually not in my notes, but I do want to talk about it. It's something that I think is important. Anyway, so, so then Scully tells Mulder that a lot of the documents are written in jargon, as we talked about with the they, they code stuff, right? Mm -hmm. But there's been an international conspiracy of silence since the 1940s. So I guess they've translated enough of it to get that information. And Albert told her the evidence of these secrets is buried on a Navajo reservation not far from where they are. And Albert will take Mulder there as soon as Mulder is well enough to go. So Mulder sits up, kind of grits his teeth a little bit. And, and then he asks how she's doing. And she tells him she didn't show up to a meeting with Skinner the day before. So the one that she said she had to go to that afternoon, I guess. And so she's not sure what the repercussions are going to be. And he tells her that she's taken a big risk. And she says that she was certain they would have killed Mulder if she hadn't intervened. And he thanks her again for taking care of him. And she tells him there's something else. Her name is in those files. It appears in the latest entries with Dwayne Barry. Mm -hmm. Barry's in the file too. And Mulder's like, in what context? And she's like, I don't know. It just has to do with some sort of test. And she's like, Mulder, I need for you to find out what it means. Yeah. I mean, honestly. And Barry wasn't lying. Yeah. No, first of all. Dwayne Barry wasn't lying. Yeah. Wingberry wasn't lying. And like, if my name were in government files with reference to some kind of test, 
I'd be kind of freaked out too. That's freaky. Yeah. So then the screen tells us Navajo Nation National Reservation. And Mulder is driving and Albert's in the passenger seat. Mulder really shouldn't be driving. He's got a bad shoulder. But anyway. And he asked Albert how he knew that he was coming. And Albert says, in the desert, things find a way to survive. Secrets are similar. They push their way up through the sands of deception. And then Albert's like, this is my house. And so they pull over. And the Mulder parks. And he's like, why me? And Albert says, you're prepared to accept the truth, aren't you? To sacrifice yourself to it? Mulder kind of doesn't understand. And Albert tells him that a tribe of indigenous people lived in this area for more than 600 years. They were the Anasazi. And it means the ancient aliens. And no evidence of their fate exists. Historians say they just vanish without a trace. And they say, meaning the historians, say that because they will not sacrifice themselves to the truth. And Mulder's like, what is the truth? And Albert says that nothing ever vanishes without a trace. And Mulder says, you think they were abducted? And Albert nods and is like, by visitors who come here still. And then Eric comes out of the house and down the stairs of the porch. And Albert gets out of his car and then after a moment, Mulder gets out of the car, too. And then Mulder stands by Eric, who's getting on his bike. And he's like, what's buried out there? And Albert says, lies. You will see for yourself. And then Eric gives Mulder a nod, like, let's go, dude. Mm -hmm. So I did look up a couple articles about the Anasazi. As far as I, the only place that references it, meaning ancient aliens, are like X-Files related things. So um, I don't speak Navajo. That crazy dude from Discovery seem... Channel. Ancient aliens. Yeah, I mean. It, it means ancient people, but Nick and I were talking about this yesterday. It might mean something like ancient traveler or something like that. It might be able to be translated in a way that you could maybe eke aliens into the translation. Um, so I don't know how, how much of a liberty they're taking with that. In reality, the Anasazi people did vanish and they actually fled their cliffside houses at the end of the 13th century. And it's one of those historical mysteries. No one's really sure why they fled and disappeared. They did not vanish entirely, but no one really knows their fate, like what happened, like why they left or where they really went. We just know that there are tribes that are descended from them among the Pueblo tribes, including the Hopi and the Zuni. So obviously some of them survived at some point and did have descendants, but there are some, there are a lot of mysteries surrounding what happened. Archaeologists kind of now believe that there was something to do with a war and them fleeing an attack or violence of some kind. But again, there's no real narrative as to what happened. Although some of the native tribes may actually know more and just haven't shared that information. But again, no one knows. Maybe they don't. Maybe they've had, they have some oral histories, but who knows, right? And why would they trust the white man? Right. Seriously. I mean, so. yeah, exactly. So if they don't want to tell, if they do know, then that's their prerogative. And if they mm -hmm. don't, then they don't. There is also some evidence that the Anasazi did practice some cannibalism, but again, I didn't read a whole lot about that, so I don't know exactly under what context or... Yeah, and I don't think it's related at all to, like, their disappearance. No, it's them, not. So. It just happens to yeah. be, like, one of those things that's... Yeah, it, 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 I think the general consensus is that they, they there was a reason why they left, yes. whether it be like for war or because like an ecological change or something like that. Right. And so, I mean, they yeah. didn't just, it's just, it's like Roanoke, right? Like people vanished, but like they didn't really like vanish into thin air, right? Like we kind of know what happened to Roanoke now and that's that they assimilated. That's what Albert says. <laughs> 
nothing vanishes without a trace right and so like you know it's it's the same thing like we don't really know what the circumstances were for them fleeing these cliffside houses that they had built but they did for some reason and we just may never know why yeah So then Eric and Mulder speed through the desert on the motorbike and they take the same trail we saw Eric take at the beginning of the episode and he parks the bike and he walks Mulder to the edge of the trail and he points to the buried train car like under the sand that he's kind of dug out a little bit. He doesn't dug it out, but like, you know, he's cleared off the top so you can see it and they climb down. Yeah, I think he's actually, I mean, it seems that way. It seems like he actually must have tried to like rebury it because he obviously like was in it. And then, like, it's not, like, uncovered enough to, like, have the, like, the hatches exposed or anything. Yeah. So, I think maybe he, when he took the alien, we assume he took the alien corpse back. That he must have, like, tried to recover it up or something like that. So, when they're first driving, like, towards the cliff trail, you can see them on the dirt bike. And off to the side, like, the ground is all, like, that ready New Mexico earth. And then off to the side, it's not red. It's, like, just normal dirt. And then you can also actually see one of the crew trucks behind in the scene, too. Like, there's a pickup truck behind them in the scene. And then when they actually get to the trail that Eric was on before, you get that same, like, really bad composite. And then we talked about before, like, maybe because I was prepared for this bad scene again, you could totally see, like, all the cloned pixels of them, like, trying to, like, delete the side to make it look like there's a cliff and then have it blended with the composite of, like, this huge drop-off. But, like, it's not they did not do a good job sorry so it's like dead calm bad yeah. so i didn't notice it at all and i was telling nick earlier like i generally don't notice that stuff until it's pointed out unless it's yeah, really it just, really bad I know, it's just one of the things but... that <laughs> i was really i really 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 wanted to go into film when i was young and so i was really into like all the effects and all that kind of stuff and so i paid a lot of attention to that kind of stuff and so maybe i just have a you have a good eye for it. it. Or maybe I'm just a <laughs> dick who likes to nitpick stuff. I don't know. But, you know. And then also when they cut the scene and they get off the dirt bike, there's like a whole bunch of green trees behind them that like were not in the scene before when they were riding up the trail. So. Yeah. I mean, if I went back and looked for it. Might it, not be in New Mexico. Uh, I probably would see yeah. it. But I didn't really notice it. Yeah. And I don't know. I did try to. I didn't. Because I couldn't get the scene to like link up to where I could like flip back and forth. I guess I could have taken screenshots and compared them. I just didn't do that. But it does seem to me like it seemed like it was worse in that scene. I doubt it was. So I think it's one of those things like once you know it's there, you recognize it even more. So since I'd seen it the first time, the second time I was even more like I, I was able to focus more maybe on the details even more so. And I don't know. So, yeah, I mean, not that I also didn't like stop and freeze frame it and look at how bad it looked. But, you know, yeah. Anyway. So. So Mulder's phone rings when he reaches the bottom and it's the cigarette smoking man. And he tells Mulder that he's a hard man to reach and Mulder jokes not hard enough, apparently. And we see that the cigarette smoking man is sitting in a car and he's smoking, of course. And he asks what? where <laughs> shocking. And he asks where Mulder is. And Mulder says the Betty Ford Center. And then he's like, Where are you? And the cigarette smoking man tells him he needs to talk to him in person. There are things to explain. Mulder's father may have told him some things, and the cigarette smoking man wants to warn him against taking those things at face value. So clearly the cigarette smoking man thinks Bill spilled a lot more stuff than he did, because he's yeah, well i mean you don't know yeah so. 
And then he tells him that Bill was never an opponent of the project. In fact, he authorized it. That's what he couldn't live with. And Mulder's like, he couldn't live because you had him killed. And Cigarette Smoky Man denies doing that. But Mulder calls him, you black lung son of a bitch. And then he says he's going to expose him. His time is over. And the Cigarette Smoky Man is like, expose anything? You only expose your father. And then Mulder hangs up. And I kind of feel like, I mean, I just feel like that you'll expose your father's wrongdoings was like a better argument if his father was actually still alive. Like, it doesn't feel like as much of a threat. I don't know, because, I mean, you know what's going to happen. I mean, it's it's way easier like to throw dead people under the bus than True. it is to have live people who can defend themselves. Oh, for sure. And so, like, no matter what is in those documents, like, they're going to blame William Mulder for it. And, you know, because there'll be, like, a few bad apples. Like, that's the go-to for everybody, right? It's always a few bad apples. It's not... It's not us. Yeah, it's just a couple people. Just a few people who were doing things that we didn't know about. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. If anything, I feel like it would be worse now that he's dead. But Mm -hmm. potato, potato. (laughs) That's what makes this show interesting. We see things from different perspectives. And yours is probably right. And I just complain all the time. But who knows? (laughs) We'll find out. Or maybe we won't. (laughs) Anyway. So then the cigarette smoking man gets out of his car. And he like, floom, flicks a cigarette. And we found out he's parked next to a helicopter and then a soldier in like full gear runs up and tells them they have a coordinate on F. So they were obviously tracing the phone call, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. And it says they're ready to go. And so they both run for the helicopter. And the cigarette smoking man jumps in, he buckles in the seat and the helicopter takes off. And then Mulder and Eric reach the metal thing. They like, you know, we're going down the cliff and, you know, Eric, Eric's a good dude. He's like making sure that Mulder could get down because Mulder's got like a bum arm and stuff like that. Yeah. So Eric's, Eric's He's a good kid. Eric's really going to prove himself later, too. Eric's a good dude. He's hard. Anyway, Mulder kind of scrapes away some writing on the top of it, and it says Sierra Pacific Railroad RTC-567490. And then Eric calls him over to the hatch, and Mulder's like, it's a boxcar. And Eric's like, it's a refrigeration car. And then he opens the hatch, and they look down. And all we see is darkness, but they look down into the darkness. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. And then we see Scully is looking at a printout from the document and her phone rings and it's Mulder. And she asks where he is. And he tells her that he's nowhere he ever expected. He's in a boxcar buried in a quarry and it's filled with bodies stacked floor to ceiling. The bodies, and like we see the bodies, they're not actually stacked floor to ceiling. There's a lot of them though. No, there's a pile of them, but yeah, it's not stacked for us. I was going to mention that. I was like, I need to shut up, but you mentioned it. So cool. Yeah, I mean, it's not. It's it's one of those expressions. I don't think it's meant to be literal, but I did know. I was like, well, that's not really for the ceiling molder. Oh, you're coming around to the ways. Yes. (laughs) Oh, man. By season nine, I'm just going to be like going off and you're going to be like just sitting back. I don't have to say anything. Uh, Um, I'm just going to be like, "Mm, mm, mm-mm-mm. So the bodies that we see, um, we can see the like the skulls look alienoid. And she tells him that in the files, she found references to experiments conducted in the U.S. by Axis Power scientists who were given amnesty after the war. Some kind Operation of... Operation te- Paperclip. Yeah, which is the name of an episode coming I up. know things. <laughs> I think episode two of season three is Paperclip. Oh. Yeah. Is it referring to Operation Paperclip? I believe it's related to this episode. <laughs> so oh, probably yeah. uh, i think it's all i think it's a chain for a couple episodes i think oh. it all goes together i believe i could be wrong that's just what i'm remembering from what i looked at the season three and thing so Mulder tells her that the bodies aren't human they look alien and she's like are you sure because like that's a big find 
And he says he is, but then he notices something and he bends down and one of the bodies has a smallpox vaccination scar. And then Mulder says, oh my God, Scully, what have they done? Because he's kind of realizing maybe these aren't alien bodies if they've got these smallpox scars. Yeah, because small, the smallpox does have a very... Um, it's a distinctive, you know, scar. Yes. Yeah. Distinctive was the word I was trying to get and I couldn't get it out of my mouth. So thank you. Yeah. Yes. See, you're coming around. Mm, <laughs> yes. Yes. I know by season nine, you're going to be like, I was the student. Now I am the master. And I'll be like, no. And I'll be like cowering in the corner. Anyway. <laughs> From my vitriols, I just spew bile. <laughs> <laughs> I love this show. I don't know if I'll love season nine. <laughs> I can't remember what season it is. There's a season that nobody loves, and I can't remember which one it is, but we'll figure it out when we get there. <laughs> we'll get there. I don't know. But then Eric closes the hatch on Mulder, and that apparently kills Mulder's cell service because the cell phone call cuts off, and Scully is like left shouting into the phone asking what happened, what happened. There's probably a reason why Eric closed it, though, because we yes. see there's a helicopter overhead, and it's flying over where Eric is standing. So Eric heard the helicopter, and he closed the hatch. Yeah, smart kid. Eric is a good dude. Yeah, and then the helicopter goes off to the side, and then soldiers rush out, and they grab Eric, and they pull him away from the car that's in the earth, right? And we only see, like, a strip of the roof of the car. We don't see that it's really, like, a real car. Just, yeah, you know, we just see a strip the rest of the It's all roof. underground. Yeah. And they open the hatch with their guns drawn and flashlights, and then they jump down inside. And the cigarette smoking man is there, and he asks Eric what his name is. And Eric is just like just looks at him doesn't say nothing like no reaction eric is hard eric is my hero of this episode honestly <laughs> and then one of the soldiers comes out of the boxcar and it's like he's not there and the cigarette smoking man asks eric where Mulder is and he's just again nothing right although when the soldier said that he's not in there eric did like they kind of cut to eric and eric's like what i know like, yeah he does have a confused. little reaction to that yeah. <laughs> And the soldier says he's vanished without a trace. And the cigarette smoking man says, nothing vanishes without a trace. Uh, you see what they did there? You see what they did there? Mm -hmm. Yes. All right. And then he tells him to burn it. And then he grabs Eric and they go into the chopper. And the soldiers drop like this like incendiary device into the boxcar. And they're like, move, move, move. And so they run in the chopper and the chopper takes off. And then we hear an explosion and then a fire like erupts out of the hatch and like just burns and burns and burns gasoline fire because tv burns and burns and burns and then it says to be continued okay so i 100 percent remember the pain of this episode because i remember watching it and i remember getting to this point and that scrolling across the screen and knowing that we would have to wait all freaking summer to find out what happened and it was so frustrating <laughs> And there were yeah. many arguments about whether Mulder was dead or alive, which I know it seems like unlikely they would kill Mulder off. But at the time, no one knew what was going, you know, no one knew. You would read rumors kind of on the internet a little bit, but like the internet, it was not what Good. it was. Like it was, yeah, it was like AOL chat rooms and stuff. Like there wasn't a lot of like comprehensive stuff going. I mean, there were like fan sites and stuff, but yeah, it was just really frustrating. So I just, when I saw that to be continued, I just had this like visceral memory of how, frustrating <laughs> it basically isn't any different now just now there's more of it so yeah exactly. as far as the internet goes but yeah. yeah 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 but no i get it because like so the to be continued for season one was wasn't really a 
was that even a to be continued at the end of season one? Or was it just like they're shutting down the X-Files and that was it? I think it was just that they were shutting down the X-Files. But at that point, like, you knew it was going to be renewed. So you knew that they would probably bring them back. Right. So like that one, you're like, oh, we got to wait a season, right? But, it's, but like, even if it was to be continued, it wasn't like, oh, my God, are they going to live or die? It was just like, oh, crap, they shut down the X-Files, right? Yeah. So, And then the two two parts that we had in season two. So we did have, well, I guess we have three well maybe not two part right but we had at least two two parters in season two the Dwayne Barry and Ascension and then Colleen Endgame those were both like it was to be continued but like you didn't have to wait like it was next week they yeah. didn't even like run reruns in between it was just like the next part was next week mm-hmm. so yeah seven days but seven days versus like what May to September yeah all June, summer July long. August four months mm-hmm. so yeah mm-hmm so uh, yeah, I get it. that was rough. It was rough, and you know, I know my brothers and I talked about it. And I'm sure we probably argued with <laughs> whether Mulder was dead or alive. You know, it was one of those things. Um, yeah, it was bad. Yeah, Eric is hard, dude. Like I said, Eric is my hero. He just like, nope, like no. What's best is like he doesn't even like 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 give them like a like I'm not telling you anything or nothing. It's just like, nah. Yeah, just total stare down, like, nope. Although I do, and I do love it, too, because, like, this is a kid who's grown up on a reservation, probably doesn't trust, like, government authorities or, like, police, mm-hmm. which he should not. And <laughs> it was just like... I mean, if you haven't grown up on a reservation, you shouldn't. No, you shouldn't. But, like, I'm just saying he probably has direct experience with why you shouldn't. And so, like, yeah, his his reaction was perfect. He was just, like, mm, total silence, except for that one reaction when he realized, like... Mulder should still be in there, so uh, what's going on? Yeah, although he is a little Americanized because, like, oh, we, for we sure, know, yeah. like, he, like he doesn't speak, he doesn't speak Navajo, he doesn't know the language, right? Yeah, so. oh no, I'm not, yeah, I'm not saying that, I'm yeah. just saying that, no, I'm no, I know, <laughs> I get what you're saying, I'm just saying, like, yeah, but he's not like into the old ways or anything, nah, like, he, no, he's a kid up with a dirt bike in the desert, like, you know, yeah, I do think this is probably the best place to slip in the one thing that I wanted to mention that I didn't have in my notes, just sure. we're talking about Eric and that kind of thing. Maybe, I don't know if it's the biggest thing, but like one of the things that I don't like about this episode is that Mulder is set up as like the white savior, like which is like a trope of like, you know, like the, you know, the the native people have known all these stories and all this stuff, but then Mulder's like the chosen one who's like there to like sacrifice himself to the truth and all that kind of stuff. It's kind of like uh, it's a little gross. Yeah, I'm not a but. fan of the trope either. I don't think it's super heavy, like it is just that. I mean, they oh, like know... they knew he was coming. Yeah. Oh, I know. Just, I'm not saying just, that you're yeah. wrong. I'm just saying I don't think it's it's not yeah. like super heavy handed. Like you know, that's not the whole plot or anything. But yeah, it's just it's still in there. It is a little um, bit, and of it's, that, yeah. and honestly, it's probably one of those things that like it is just so entrenched in literature that like you put that stuff in without realizing it like, oh for same sure thing with like yeah. a lot of like racism and misogyny it's like you just like a lot of times you don't even realize you're doing it because it's like you just you've grown up in a culture that does that and it's like that's just yeah so yeah but i just wanted to get that out of the way because it does it is a little like ugh, but yeah yeah that's good to mention i had thought for sure they filmed somewhere in the southwest because like you do see that nice establishing shot and it's very pretty the establishing shot is gorgeous it really is yes uh, apparently they didn't i don't know why it 
I guess, I mean, I don't make TV, right? So, like, I feel like it would be easier to fly a crew to New Mexico for a week and, like, film these scenes on location. Than to do what they did. Right, yes. because here's what they did. They took a rock quarry that was, like... In Cook Whitland. Half yep. a mile of cliff, and they painted it red. They used, I mean, mm -hmm. the amount of paint... Lowry's is 1,600 gallons of paint. It was a lot of paint. And they used it to like get the red dirt, get the red rock, and then kind of use composite shots from New Mexico. And I just feel like flying people to New Mexico probably would have been easier. Again, I don't know the rules or the union rules or the budget constraints or the well, time the thing constraints. Says too, one of the things I read was that they used footage from a second unit as well as like stock footage. And so I'm not sure if they maybe sent like a, like a, at least like maybe one person down to get some shots mm -hmm. and then use that footage to use to do the composites or if they just use stock footage. I'm not sure. And also, as we talk about a lot of time and as you just mentioned, like with the gallons of paint, like you can't always believe what people say. Because like like you said, Lowry says 1600 gallons. Gradens are in Pitson. They say over a thousand gallons, which is not different, honestly. But then like Genge says 7,300 liters, which is roughly 1,928 and a half gallons. I mean, I guess it doesn't really matter because it's kind of close enough. And we know that Lowry and Genge kind of right. have trash information sometimes. Although, honestly, I'm actually leaning toward Genge in this case, even though I have like major prejudice against him or them. I don't know if it's a male or female who they're just any Genge. So I'm not actually sure. But the whole Dwayne Barry and Phineas Gage thing that they had in their book, oh, that oh, that was even worse than Scully's part in the episode. But they are technically in Canada, so leaders almost seems to make more sense. Like I almost thinking yeah. that is a more accurate number, but I don't. know. I mean, I don't think it matters so. how much paint they used. The point is that yeah. they used, but a, they painted an entire a crap quarry, ton basically. of paint. Yeah, to, which is yeah. just to me seems like. A ridiculous amount of work when you can and they just... had to get like environmental approval and then obviously like the owner of the quarry and like apparently the paint lasted for years. Oh yeah, yeah. No, it just doesn't seem like the easiest way to do it. But again, I don't. I yeah. Don't know. I mean, clearly they weighed their options and the you know that was the one they went with, so they must have had a reason. But it just seems a little bit. Well, yeah, and given how much, I mean, I don't later episodes, you know. Obviously, I'm guessing they're in this area in at least one more episode, right? Because two-parter or multi-parter to be continued. We don't know. Well, we do, but we're not going to say it now. But it just seems like, yeah, like it's not that big of a part of this episode at least. So like you think like, oh, dude, you could have like sent, you know, yeah. just David Duchovny down there with the other actors or I don't know. But yeah. I do have a fan club photo um, one of the like cards it's like a big eight by ten of the crew at the on like onset for Anasazi at this like quarry. So I'll post that on the Instagram. Um oh, you guys can take a look at it. Because it's it's something I got when I joined the fan club. I got a bunch of like eight they sent it everyone like a bunch of eight by ten, like and they have stuff from different episodes. Like the early Meyer Flask one I have is from the same set. So. Oh, so like like stills and stuff or yeah, just, just like stills. This one's a shot of the crew on the set of Anasazi. Oh, cool. Um, I have a bunch of that stuff. I have a whole X-Files binder full of X-Files things, including magazines from like when the movies came out with X-Files on the cover. Like I kept all the stuff, which now it's coming in handy to have. So yay me for holding on to it all these years. But um, yeah, I was an official X-Files club member <laughs> because hmm. of course I was I'm a fangirl. Yeah. So Nicholas Lee, who plays Crycheck, 
said that he and Duchovny basically had to choreograph their own fist fight because apparently the stunt coordinator was like stuck in traffic or something when they went to film. So (laughs) they did a lot of work on that. To me, as like a person with a degree in economics and as a detail-oriented person, I'd be like, why do we have this guy on the payroll? Let's just not pay him because like apparently Skinner and X had to do the same thing because Steven Williams had stunt coordinator experience and they choreographed their fight scene too. Yeah. In Endgame. So like, why do you have this guy? We don't even need him. He's like, anyway, I do wonder, I didn't have time to go back and check to look at the names. I'm assuming his name is in the credits for this episode, even though he was stuck in traffic. I wonder if it's the same guy who was the stunt coordinator and actually has the role in ice in the opening. So I wonder if it's the same dude. But yeah, it might be. Yeah. And like I pointed out, Chris Carter recalls a lot of outcry after the season finale. And there were a lot of articles and like things like, is Mulder really dead? How can you kill off your main character? And so a lot of people did think Mulder had to be dead because he was in that train car. You know, I, I think I remember how he was not in the train car, but I'm not sure. So I'm not going to say I will not find out till I watch <laughs> till yeah till next fall when we watch season three honestly (laughs) i'm just sitting here like going like oh my god what kind of like magic are they going to come up with so that he's not dead we can save the hero i feel like like, it was connected to another train car and he like ran away through i don't remember i I mean that makes the most sense totally wrong there was a or there was enough of an opening in the cavern where it was that he like went out the door and there was like a space right where he could hide and and technically if he like closed the door and sealed it he would have been like you know spared most of the blast or whatever yeah i don't remember exactly so we'll find out but yeah but i mean it was it was a very big cliffhanger because even if you knew Mulder was alive it was very much like how is he alive (laughs) ignoring the fact that he figured all this out in the dark because the hatch is closed but yeah i don't think cell phones back then had a nice little molders resourceful on them like yeah (laughs) it's good like i know it's gonna be hand wavy stuff and oh yeah yeah. stuff i mean he's not dead so we know it's a cliffhanger he's fine somehow but yeah anyway (laughs) yeah I say like despite all like we've we talked previously about like you know when they hired William B. Davis to be like the cigarette smoking man and the pilot and that kind of stuff and they were like we're just bringing him in for this scene and like he's not an actor he's just some dude off the street and they kind of like when they wanted to give him lines everyone was like what are you doing like this guy isn't going to be a good he's just some dude off the street he can't act uh, honestly he's like the best acting in this episode he's so good he i love william davis i've been a huge fan of his for well since this show because he's just great and like every time he's on screen i feel like he does a really good job but this episode he is i mean he has some pretty big scenes and he is believable in every single one of them like whether he's on the phone or yelling at eric or whatever you know with bill like he's he's good no he's yeah he's definitely the best actor in the episode i mean I'm not going to hide the fact that, like, I'm not impressed with the acting of our two leads in this episode. But then again, I'm often not. I'm not sure that they're fantastic. So, yeah. anyway. Me and Nick me. were talking about this, and I don't, I think they're good. But yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I like. You can definitely tell that the main lead had a hand in writing this episode. Because, yeah. like, dude, like, tone it down a little bit. You're already the star of the show. Just calm down, Okay. I was going to say, like, I Chill think a little. Jillian Anderson does a great job in this episode, which I know you don't necessarily think so, but... Well, I don't think either of them did. That's but, what I'm saying, yeah. but I think Mulder, I think Duchovny did, was a little bit 
over the top. And I think it's partially because he was supposed to be kind of unhinged and irrational, but he did kind of, I don't know. There were moments where I was like, I know he's supposed to be on drugs, but this is a little much. (laughs) It's funny you say that because like the books that we normally go through, right? Of course, they're like, oh, they did such great, you know, they're gushy, gushy, gushy. They just did such great jobs in this episode. And one of them even said that what made Duchovny's performance so great was that he could have gone more over the top, but he didn't. He was so (laughs) subdued. And I did not. There were definitely scenes where I did not think so. Um, But I mean, I didn't think it was bad. It wasn't like, oh, God, the acting is terrible. No, and we said this before we started recording that you can be not good. And also not be bad, right? right? There is, it's not like a binary. So I just, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think they're that great. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. My thing has always been that like, I don't see where you could have put anybody in these roles and it would have been the same thing. Honestly, as long as you had two attractive people, it would have been fine. So that's just me. Yeah. But anyway, people can yell at me and hate me all they want. Just don't stop (laughs) listening to the show. So, you know, <laughs> just keep downloading it and giving us five. Come for ratings. the Tory, tolerate the Nick. There we go. That's going to be our new tagline. <laughs> yeah. Stay for my X Files collection, which I'll slowly reveal on Instagram, and you will see that I have been a fangirl of the show since 1993. So. Yeah. So before we do the ratings, I guess just real fast, I do want to get into the thing that I mentioned earlier yes. about the whole William and Bill thing. And I think we talked about this privately at one point, but Mulder and Scully both have dads named William. And I think you know this and I know this. I'm trying to do it in a way where we don't like spoil everything. There will be another family regulation later that is also named William. Mm -hmm. And then of course, William B. Davis, right? And then we've got William Moore, author of the Roswell Incident. Kind of, it's like a lot of Williams pop up, it seems. And so I'm just kind of like, oh, it's really weird that Williams pop up a lot. Well, and it's funny because like, yes, in real life, there are a lot of people named William. So the odds of two people having a dad named William or like in my circles, there are a lot of people whose dads are named Anthony or Tony because, you know, we're Italian. That's very common. So it's not uncommon But it is super weird for fiction because you're choosing those names. And it's super weird to like pick the same name for both their dads. Like maybe it was done at different times and maybe they didn't realize that we'd already named Scully's dad, William, and then accidentally named Mulder's dad. the same. It just seems really odd to me that they didn't like notice that and go, oh, maybe we should call him Carl or James or robert yeah, it, it does seem, yeah because it's a because it's a choice it's a written thing right so it's not right. just it's not just like oh the chances of this happening of like two people meeting and becoming partners at work and like oh your dad's name is the first same name as my dad's first name right. that's weird it's yeah it's a choice yes so so it is a little odd and it is funny that they did that and then stuck with it i don't know why but i mean maybe chris <laughs> carter realized that batman and superman's mom has the same names way before Zack snyder ever did and decided to just do that with the dads who knows I who knows yeah and i think we were talking about the whole martha 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 thing at one point and i think that's what made me jump in my head was that i realized like hey wait a minute <laughs> Mulder and scully's dads have the same name and so 
And I think at, at, and I think at different points, they both have been mentioned as William and also as Bill. Mulder's dad seems to go by Bill more often. And I think Scully's was by William more often, but I think he is called Bill at some point in one of the episodes that he's in. Mm-hmm. Maybe by his wife or something. So, yeah. But yeah, that had been kind of, this seemed a good episode to bring it up since we're assuming that Mulder's dad isn't going to be reappearing much. Um, <laughs> but we could be wrong. We don't you know. You never know, right? But you never know. Seemed like this might be my last chance to bring it up because it had been banging around in my head for a while. So, yeah. It's All right. So I guess that brings us to ratings of the season finale. Okay. This one's hard. So, um, oh, well, it's just hard. It's, it's kind of, I mean, a lot, this is a really like, I don't know how long the summary is. It's very long. A lot happens in this episode. Like it's only 45 minutes. There's a lot going on and it's very quick to like move around. I do like how it moves the conspiracy story, like the myth arc stuff. I don't love how it ends, but that's because it's a to be continued, and that just is always da. But you know, hey, what are you gonna do? Looking at the Google Doc, it is one of, if not possibly, our longest set of notes. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, a lot of stuff happens, right? Because you get like Eric yeah. finding the alien, and then you get the guy hacking the thing, and then you get the lone gunman, and you get the weird shooting at Mulder's apartment, and then you get weird, you know. Just yeah, I don't know how long the summary is by itself without our notes, but all together without our reference page. Um, it is 18 pages. Yeah, so. it's a lot. So, I mean, a lot of stuff happens. Mulder punches Skinner in the face. Yeah. <laughs> Agent Chris Carter shows up to ask Scully probing questions about why she's not doing her job well or whatever. I don't know. It's a lot. So I think for me, I think it's an eight. Like, I think it's almost a nine. Mm. But I feel like because there's just, and I realize that weirdness is that Mulder is like drugged and acting weird, but there's just some weirdness with him that felt a little off when I was watching. And I know it's supposed to feel off, but it just, I don't know, felt off. But otherwise, like, I think it's innate. Like, it's a solid Myth Arc episode. It's interesting. The whole time I was watching it, I was like, whoa, what's happening? Like, you know, super into it. Yeah, I, I liked it a lot. And even though it left on a cliffhanger and I'm stuck waiting till next september when school starts to find out what happens i still enjoyed the journey hmm. and we get a lot of great I mean, lone gunman cigarettes technically it'll be dinner. this september yes for us <laughs> as we mentioned september 10th 2021 season three episode one will be in the feed nice so yeah interestingly you also gave erlen meyer flask at eight yes yeah i mean i I don't I've know if you looked at that and saw before. that when you did it or not, but... Um, I know. mean, I do. It's funny because, like, when we started this podcast, I was like, you know, I really like the Monster of the Week episodes more. I'm not huge into the Myth Arc. And then as we watch, it turns out that I really like the Myth Arc episodes, and I don't know why I thought that I didn't. I do. I enjoy them. So I really liked this we'll one. You have to do some statistical analysis and see if it is that that you actually like them more or if it's just that you like them, but then you also like... Yeah, I mean, I do like a lot of the Monster of the Week episodes, too. I do think that I'm probably going to bump my rating for Little Green Men up to a 9. <gasps> but From a 7? Yeah, I think it's going to go up to a 9. Oh my god, because you already bumped it up to an 8. Yeah, I think I just, the nine. more I think about that episode, I really like wow. it. And this one, I think, does not quite hit that for me. But it is really good, and I did enjoy it, and I like where it's going. And I'm excited to see the next one. I'm going to be like, Eric, I'm hard. Little Green Man, stay in a four. Sorry. Yeah, no worries. That's fine. <laughs> you are allowed to have 
<laughs> your own opinion. Yeah. So, okay. So let's see. So last season's season finale, mm-hmm. you gave an eight. I did. I gave a five. And we both actually held on to those. We didn't change those at all. Like we said, eight originally, and then we kept with eight. Also, it was the last episode of the season, so we maybe had a better gauge of like where we were going. We didn't like go back and think about how it fit into other episodes because there were no other episodes to fit it into. Right. So, what is Nick gonna do? What is Nick gonna do? What is Nick gonna do? Is he just gonna complain all episode and then give it a nine? <laughs> Who knows? Who Thank knows? You. No, he's not. I think I'm going to go with, let's see. I wonder if maybe I should start just going with my gut and not trying to do a comparison with other episodes. Because you can't really compare episodes because stories are different and mm-hmm. characters and actors and what have you. I'm going to go with, I think I'll give it a seven. Nice. That's pretty respectable. So not a not a solid all night. I mean, it's good. It yeah, it was fine. I mean, I mean, saying it's fine makes it sound like it's not a seven. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'll I'm gonna go back and f- we are gonna give ourselves a little bit of time off before we come back for our season wrap up in the real world. So even though for you guys it'll be next week, um, so maybe I'll have changed my mind. But maybe. yeah, I think I'm gonna go with a seven. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I wish I one. I wish there would have been. I wish there would have been more lone gunmen. We get them in the beginning, and they totally could have worked in with the whole like Mulder's got a secret file, right? And so like, how is he going to access it? Let's use the lone gunman. Yeah. Instead of taking it to work. Oh my god. But then of course Scully's not going to walk in in a lone gunman bunker and <laughs> ask Mulder what's going on, right? I mean, you know, in Fro Hickey's. Fro Hickey would love that. Yes. <laughs> So, but <laughs> I'm sure that's a fantasy Frohick he has quite often, but in reality, I don't know that that's yeah. likely to occur. Yeah. So, but yeah, I think, yeah, I think seven. I mean, it's not, it's not a bad episode. There's some, like I said, William B. Davis is awesome in it. So, you know, am I maybe leaning, like letting him carry the episode? Possibly. Maybe he should. So then it's a seven. Well, and your boy Skinner has some good scenes. my boy Skinner is always a good scene but I don't know his scenes are that great but I mean he's in it so that's cool (laughs) yeah I mean he's sitting at a table with a guy who looks like Chris Carter what else do you want Uh, (laughs) actually Skinner never sits Skinner stands that's true he doesn't actually sit at the table no he never he never sits at those meetings actually he's always standing so he must always be like presenting I guess so yeah where he just wants to assert dominance. <laughs> maybe, maybe. He can. It's fine. I'll let him. All right. <laughs> yeah. No problem with that. So, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, set. We'll go with seven. Okay, cool. Yeah. If it does change, if anything, it'll probably go to a six, honestly. Yeah. Okay. So it's not going to like drop dramatically. I'm not going to suddenly give it a four or something. So, and also the fact that it's a two-parter, like we had this discussion with Colony and Endgame, like how do they fit together? Like, can you rate? And I'm like, I gave Endgame a way, well, not maybe a way lower score, but like three points lower than Colony. And you gave Endgame one point higher than Colony. So we obviously have different tastes, but yeah. So it's kind of like, well, what's the next one going to be, right? 
Yeah, and so. I think it's a three-parter because I do think that yeah. Blessing Way and the yeah. Paperclip are like continuations. Yeah, it story. is. I kind of like tried to be subtle about not saying that. By not saying it's a two-parter, you're kind of saying it's at least a three-parter. So I wasn't that subtle, but you know, what are you going to do? I'm not a covert conspiracy agent who's skilled in. <laughs> I'm not either. I would be very bad at it. I would just not be good at that. So. People would probably be like, dude, this guy shut up. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, anyway. same for me, only they'd be like, wow, well, she shut up. And also she's has an annoying voice. <laughs> she's always laughing at her own jokes. What the hell is that about? Well, someone has to, right? That's that's the joke. Right, um, exactly. I mean, my cats won't jokes. do it. They just look at me and then whine for food. Oh, hmm. well, join us next week. First. For the season wrap up, yeah, we'll it's discuss. in the credits again. I don't know why I'm saying it now, so I'm <laughs> gonna say it again. So we'll discuss all of season two again, just in case you missed something or we missed something. Yeah, yeah, it'll be fun. All right, ciao, bye bye. <laughs> that was finger guns too, in case you didn't get that. I was just gotta know. Yeah, Double finger guns. Finger guns. Cool. That's it. All right. All right. <laughs> Alrighty. I Want to Rewatch is hosted by Tori and Nick and recorded at Black Cat Studios. Episode production design and editing is by Lazy End Productions. Our music is Dark Science by David Hillowitz. And The Truth is What We Make of It by The Agrarians. You can find us at IWantToRewatch.com or wherever podcasts are found. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app. And you can always share this podcast with a friend. If they like the X-Files, we'd love to have them join us. Speaking of which, be sure to join us next time as we wrap up Season 2 of the X-Files. And try to figure out if the the truth truth is is still out there. The truth is what we make of it. one more time just to make sure i think the rambliness of the first part matches my normal personality so but i will try and get that last line down so so thanks everyone who's listening who has come along with us and hopefully we'll stick around that sounds 
god awful okay maybe <laughs> i won't redo it i'll just let it go we'll just do the make we'll make sure the truth is still out there part which i can also steal from the other things it's the same thing we say yeah all the time. we say it so, a lot so <laughs> yeah I think I might have the blooper. Okay. All right. 